You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. My name is Jerem, pastor here at the Shore, and a warm welcome to you, all of you, in this Christmas season. Uh, we have family all the way from Texas here, so excited, uh, and uh, we're just going to have a good time of fellowship and hanging out, and this is part of it. Uh, we want to celebrate Jesus in all of these events uh, that we have in our families. If you don't know, we are a church that loves Jesus. We love uh, the Word of God. We want to preach the Word of God every single Sunday. And this is going to be a Sunday that is no different than that. We, we have core values of evangelism, discipleship, and, uh, and community. And we want to do that by making Jesus known through those core values. Uh, and we are in the book of Hebrews uh, for the last maybe couple, well, I guess back all the way to, back to September, we've been work, working through Hebrews, and we're going to continue to do that. It's, it's probably not the book you would go to on a Christmas Eve gathering, but yet we are going to stay in Hebrews, and specifically Hebrews chapter 5, because this text, as you're going to see really shortly, actually points to Jesus in this time frame that we are celebrating. So would you once more... Stand with me if you're able, and we're going to read uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, uh, verses 7 through 10 today, and we're going to then unpack that really quickly and have some treats and take some photos of our families together. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10 says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God. Let's pray one more time and then we'll jump into this text. Jesus, again, we come before you. We want to constantly be praying to you and and revering you and honoring you and all that you have done, especially in this season. And Jesus, I thank you again for coming in the flesh, for putting flesh and blood on to entering into this realm of death for us. And so, Jesus, I pray that as we unpack this amazing text in Hebrews, that we will be encouraged in this Christmas season, that we will remember all the things that you have done for us and that are coming to do. And I pray for those that maybe don't fully know and understand who you are yet. I pray, Jesus, that, um, that we will have softened hearts this morning, that you will, through your Holy Spirit, soften our hearts now and open our hearts to your amazing and beautiful good news. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, you can grab a seat. Well, Merry Christmas. We have the kids in the gathering with us this morning. There is a pen back there. It's not for any live animals, but we do have a pen back there for our kids, zero to two, if you have a kid in that age range and they just need some time away. So may the Lord limit the distractions for us today as we have the children in here. And kids, you want to listen and be submissive to your parents today. We've actually got a verse for you in that. Uh, But kids, this is the day, right? This is the day, kids, that, you know, Santa comes down in through the chimney and puts presents under the tree and fills your stockings. And it looks a lot lot like me. 
right? This is, this is one of those mythical stories that we love to tell around this time of year. But I've got such a better story. The greatest story of all kind, right? A historical story that on this planet that we live on took place 2,000 years ago. A great, great story. A story that actually all the angels in heaven marveled over. They marveled over this. And the Bible begins right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Everything kind of works from that. That's the foundation of the story of Scripture. In the beginning, God. He's the main character and always has been, always will be. See, that is the foundation. And then the creation of man took place, Adam and Eve, and they sinned. They fell short of God's perfection. They didn't live up to God's perfection and they sinned. They disobeyed God. And then Jesus came into the picture all the way back into Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where this amazing snake crusher was to come and to, to, to pay the sin penalty of mankind all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the very third book or third chapter of the Bible. And then in our text in Hebrews, in chapter 1 of Hebrews, in verses 1 through 2, this is a little bit of an overview for all of us in this story, this amazing story that is told through the book of the Bible here. But in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it is God who spoke through the prophets, but now speaks through his son. And he happens to be, in chapter 1, verse 3, the exact, the exact imprint of God the Father. This snake crusher that is to come. He is now the one speaking to us. Then in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, like I said, he is the exact imprint of God. In chapter 1, verse 8, he is, his throne is eternal. His kingdom is eternal. In Acts chapter, or sorry, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus had to be made like man in order to be the snake crusher, to pay for the sin penalty that we deserve, going all the way back to Genesis 3. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that he is our perfectly pure great high priest. That he did not sin. He did not fall short. He is actually pure in all that he does and says and acts in. And it is in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 6 which we covered last week and again in our text here in verse 10 that he is in the order of Melchizedek. That meaning that he is eternal. That he is, has no beginning and no end. He is our ter- eternal priest. See, our text this morning, this Christmas Eve, starts with in the days of his flesh. Now, when you hear in the days of his flesh, that could actually take a lifetime to explain in the days of his flesh. And for me, when I hear that, man, I'm going to go for about two and a half hours this morning on the days of his flesh. Just kidding. That'd be amazing for me, probably not so much for you with little, little ones, but in the days of his flesh, like what better passage to talk about when it comes to Jesus? In the days of his flesh, the very thing that the angels marveled over, God becoming man. Like think about that. God of creation, the one who spoke things into existence, became man into his creation. Like this is something to be marveled over. See, this day, really every day, we ought to be celebrating Jesus and his awesomeness. To think about that God became flesh. So let me fast forward through this story of the days of his flesh. 
Let me fast forward through this story really quickly, hitting some major points. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if you go back all the way to verse 1, it's not on the screen, but in verse 1 of the Gospel of John, it was the Word that was from the beginning. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and, and He became flesh now. This is Jesus. Jesus was the Creator. Jesus owns everything, as we talked about already. And now Jesus has become flesh. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, about 700 years, like think about this. It's so easy to just say this, but not, yet we need to think about it. 700 years before he walked on this planet, this was prophesied in 714. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is not trying to hide things here. He's trying to open our eyes to, to soften our hearts to this amazing, marvelous, wonderful action that is taking place here on our planet. In Isaiah 9, 6, we see a little bit more of this, some, a passage that I'm sure you are familiar with if you've been around church. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then fast forward 700 years, this prophecy now fulfilled in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 33. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second because I need you to understand this. Look at the specifics. Look at the specifics. This is Luke, a doctor, so he's writing specifically about these things. And, and the historians have shown that this is not how mythical stories were ever written. Mythical stories were not written with specifics like this. The sixth month, Nazareth, Mary and Joseph. There's too many specifics here. In the city of David, a virgin. Let's continue to read. And it says, it came, this angel Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greetings this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Again, a specific name. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the prophecy fulfilled of Isaiah. And then nine months later, this happens in Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Again, more specifics. A whole bunch of shepherds seeing this amazing, marvelous action in the skies above them. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. More specifics. Then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. Then eight days after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph, by law, the law given by God to Moses, stated in Genesis 17, were to bring a sacrifice to the one who, who exited the womb. The first boy, the first man to, to leave the womb of a woman was to bring a sacrifice to the priest. And the man to do this was Simeon. Look at Luke chapter 2. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem, again, very specific, whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before it had, he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now that's a very specific prophecy to this man, Simeon. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in, the, in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Again, think about this. This is the, the, the priest in the temple prophesied by the Holy Spirit to, to his heart and to his mind knowing that you will not die before this child comes to you and you get to see him. He most likely has heard about the shepherds. He's most likely heard about Mary and this virgin birth that took place in the city of David, Bethlehem. He's most likely heard of all things, the, the rumors that have gone through the lands that, that this Savior has come that we've been waiting for. And then you can imagine Mary and Joseph walking into the temple and then putting this baby in his arms and he's like, this is it. This is it. And praising God for what took place. See, Jesus was the prophesied salvation for all people. And Mary and Joseph then returned home after this day to Nazareth. And they went home back to Nazareth. In Luke 2, 40, it says, The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Filled with wisdom and the favor of God. See, I'm not sure if you guys like road trips. I love road trips. We go on road trips quite regularly. Might be doing another road trip, taking my daughter to Arizona to play some basketball, which is very exciting. And when she graduates high school, but maybe the road trip is coming in our future. We don't know. We'll, we'll see. Wait and see. The Lord has a greater plan for us. But Mary and Joseph did road trips constantly back to Jerusalem to celebrate, celebrate Passover. This was an annual thing for them. For many Israelites to go back to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover feast. And so when Jesus grew to 12 years old, we see Mary and Joseph taking another road trip back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And at 12 years old, this is now almost a teenager, right? Some of you may be close to being 12. Well, it's almost like the Home Alone story. Everybody see Home Alone before? Yeah, favorite, one of the favorite movies, right? Home Alone. Rock and roll, baby. All right? Well, this is the Home Alone story, right? So Mary and Joseph gathered the things 
and they begin to head back to Nazareth. And on their journey, there's probably a group of them, of family and friends, and then they realize, oh my goodness, where's Jesus? They realize they had left him in Jerusalem, right? I'm not sure if you've ever been left, maybe on purpose, some of you. Uh, but, but Jesus was left in Jerusalem. This is home alone. Now, now, Jesus didn't make a battle plan, right? Jesus didn't make a battle plan to kill the robbers and to beat them up. No, Jesus went to the temple. He was filled with wisdom. He asked amazing questions and shocked the men in the temple. And we see this response from Jesus when his parents finally found him, not one day later, three days later. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? See, now kids, don't get any ideas to come over to my house and ask all kinds of Bible questions. Though I would love that, I would love that. Actually, would love that. But look at what Jesus says in verse 51 of Luke. It says, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth. So this is Jesus now goes, okay, your mom, mom and dad, I'm going to go back home with you now. And then was submissive to them. He listened to mom and dad. See, there's a thing that I'm going to talk to your parents about in a, in a second here, but honoring your father and mother is a really important aspect of the scripture. To imitate Jesus in this, even when he was 12 years old, is something that we all need to practice. To be submissive to our fathers. See, from the age of 12, we actually don't see Jesus again until his baptism by John. There's this there's this break in the timeline that we don't see anything about Jesus from basically 12 till 30 when he gets baptized by John. And this sparks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But in those early years, we can gain a lot of wisdom and understanding looking through the lines of the text. Like we understand that there was, must have been great shame upon Mary. Great shame. Pointing fingers that you, a virgin, are now pregnant. There must have been great shame upon Joseph and his family. Like, your, your future wife is now pregnant and you're proclaiming that it's not yours. You should divorce her. Great shame upon both families in their city. A small little town. For Joseph to want to marry or to divorce Mary again was another shameful action. They also had little to no money. Going back to Simeon, going back to that story, going to the temple to, be, to, to take a sacrifice. And the sacrifice that Mary and Joseph brought were two turtle doves, which meant they were financially poor. Then in the years of Jesus' ministry, he was ridiculed. He suffered by the hands and temptation of Satan. His own brothers and family mocked him. More than once, people tried to kill him in his own town. And eventually, Jesus was led to the cross to be crucified. He was replaced by a known thug, Barabbas. Again, tying up a whole bunch of loose ends in the story of God. That he, there was a scapegoat and then a sacrificial lamb. Barabbas was freed. This known thug in the community, this, this criminal was released that Jesus might be the sacrificial lamb. There's so much 
tying into this amazing story of Jesus becoming flesh. See, just before the cross, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to his heavenly Father to be freed from our penalty of sin, the wrath of God to be placed upon him. But it was more important for Jesus to fulfill the will of his Father than to take his own will upon himself and to be freed from this amazing punishment. What a lesson again for us to go to the very one that knows and has the blueprints of this timeline of this world. To continue to go to him when times of anxiety come, when times of temptation come, when times of suffering come, is to go towards God our Father, the one who has the blueprints. See, Jesus then went to the cross taking on the suffering for us, the payment of our sin. Jesus took death for us so that we might live. And we will pick this story up in a few months at Easter. But if you were part of the shore, I'm sure you have noticed that we share this story every single week. See, it's not just a Christmas or Easter story. It's an actually everyday story. It's one that we are called to place on our doorposts on our walls, on our hearts of our life, that, to share this with everyone around us. This is the most amazing story known to man that God became flesh. And you see this in our text again. The first six words of our text in Hebrews chapter 5 says, in the days of his flesh. Now, like I said, I could go for hours on those 33 years that Jesus lived. But the author does zero in in our Hebrews chapter 5 text. He does zero in on a few things, and I want to point those things out before we go and eat some treats and take some pictures. Let's start with answering, asking the question, and the most probably important question to all of us is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So let's let's look back at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. So we're going to not work down through our text, but we're going to work up into it. So Hebrews 5, 8 through 10, it says this, He was a son. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So I've got it highlighted on the screen there, but who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, he is the Son of God. And this is the multiple. This is a, a multiple time. This is the, the the probably fifth or sixth time that we see this throughout the book of Hebrews, that he is the Son of God. Back in chapter one, verse three, again, he is the exact imprint of God. He is also made flesh, as we see in chapter five, verse seven. He is in our text here on the screen. It was Jesus was a learner. Jesus was a sufferer. Jesus was made perfect. Jesus was and is the source of eternal salvation. Jesus was chosen and appointed. And this is a repeat from last week that God's sovereign hand had this all planned out. We know this back from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. That he is the snake crusher to come. He's chosen and appointed for this task. To pay for the sins of you and I. And lastly, Jesus was in the order of Melchizedek, meaning Jesus is eternal. There is no beginning or end, and we'll cover that when we get to chapter 7 of Hebrews. So we learn who Jesus is. Second thing out of our text of Hebrews chapter 5 is that we, we want to discover is what did Jesus learn in the flesh? Like, what did he learn coming as flesh? 
Well, we see this in chapter or verse 7 and 8. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, the things on the screen here, these texts are incredibly important to understand. The things that Jesus learned in the flesh, we are called, friends, we are called to learn as well. God is our refuge. Three things. God is our refuge. Obedience happens through suffering and reverence. Reverence. So what are we to learn in the flesh? We are a fleshy body. We are to learn God is our refuge. We are to learn obedience through suffering. And we are to learn reverence. So God is our refuge because he is our sovereign and perfectly good God. He's a perfectly good God. He is not evil, but perfectly good, meaning that his plans are far greater than anything that we can come up with. Like I just finished reading uh, Isaiah in my devotions. And man, Isaiah is such a sweet, sweet book. Uh, A lot of theologians, scholars say this is the gospel of the Old Testament. And man, there's so many sweet promises coming out of that. We've already read a couple of them, but the, the text that really stuck out to me as I was reading is actually going back into Isaiah chapter 41. And this is God rebuking the people for carving out idols, rebuking the people for worshiping things that you should not be worshiping. When God is constantly showing us his attributes through creation. And it says this in Isaiah 41. It's not on the screen, but it says this. It says, set forth your case. And he's talking to the idols here. It's actually comical. He's mocking them. He says, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. See, what he's doing here is he's going, show me, idol, what's going to happen in the future. Tell me what's going on. Explain to me this this thing that's going to happen in the future. He's mocking them. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. And then in verse 24 of Isaiah 41, it says this, Behold, you, false God, are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. That ought to shock us into worshiping and finding the true God. You're an abomination to the God of creation if you worship something other than Him, is basically what He's saying. And we've come through the text that we're preaching today, and I've already shared proven prophecies, two of them. And there's over 300 proven prophecies of Jesus historical prophecies that are on this planet that we live in that are proven already and we ignore them we ignore them like a like you know those four way stops when no one's around we just drive through at least I do I'm not sure if you do. But isn't that the similar, the, the similar thing to do when there's prophecies 700 years before the event actually takes place and it, and it takes place? And then we ignore it like it never happened. 
See, in our text, it mentions prayers and supplications. This is Jesus praying, most likely at the Garden of Gethsemane in this, in this passage. In the days of his flesh, because he knew God was his refuge. He knew God was his refuge. Not some false God, some created thing, some, some power that comes out of me. It is God of creation that I need to go to. He is my true refuge. See, Jesus, far more than any other man, knew God the Father to be real. He came from Him. He was in the heavenlies with Him. Created all the things that we get to see every single day. He spoke it into existence. And Jesus came from Him. See, in Luke chapter 22, verse 41 to 44, we see this amazing story played out, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying a few days before he was nailed to the cross. Jesus knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, the focus being God's will, not his. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now the prayer in our text in Hebrews is most likely not the f- verse 44, not verse 42. By prayers and supplications, Jesus went to the Father knowing his will was perfect, even though it would lead to suffering. Jesus knew God was his refuge. And I wonder if we know that. I wonder if at times I know that. See, church, suffering is a horrible thing, but through suffering we can better see our depravity and our need of a Savior. And Jesus experienced this. He experienced deep, deep suffering and knew far greater that the obedience in Him to follow the Father, to go to His true refuge, was the very answer that He was to do. See, the second point of obedience through suffering is this is verse 8. Jesus, like when he was 12, like growing up in poverty, like being tempted by Satan in the desert, Jesus also learned obedience through times of suffering. He learned as fully man that God the Father is our refuge in times of need. Jesus, like no other, left the heavenlies, heavenly realm, and put flesh and blood on it. If any person could understand God the Father, it was Jesus. And Jesus went to him in times of suffering. Friends, this is exactly our call. When times of suffering hit, rather than blaming others, rather than blaming the church, rather than blaming God, rather than blame, 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 we are called to go to the Father. This brings us to the final point in this text, and that is reverence. So out of point number two, what do we learn in the flesh? We learn that God is our refuge. We learn that obedience comes through suffering. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. To be obedient to the Father even though though temptation and trial and suffering is coming. And thirdly, we learn reverence. And reverence means profound respect. Profound respect. And as I was studying this text and understanding the, the deepness of this reverence, like what does this reverence mean? Two people popped up to my mind. The first was my wife, to profoundly respect her and how she loves the Word of God, how she loves her kids, and how she loves others. 
I profoundly respect my wife. I also profoundly respect a man named Jack Summerfield. I love him. He's a great man of God. He uses his time to disciple people. He uses his time to share the good news of Jesus. But no one surpasses Jesus. No one. And here in our text, it is Jesus that is giving reverence to the Father. See, and it is his reverence and honor of the Father that opens his ears to his prayers. It opens his ears. See, when you revere God from your heart and he hears you, like this is a promise that we see in our text. He hears you. When you revere God the Father, he hears you. Because it's exactly what we are called to do. We're called to honor him. We're called to worship him. This is the purpose of man, to honor the Lord. And when you honor the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he hears you. And we see this right in our text in verse 7 where it says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, his faith, his trust. See, Jesus has profound respect for his heavenly Father. And this is one of the greatest themes you will see through the scriptures. Turn from worship of yourself. Turn and worship the Father. Worship the Creator God who made heaven and earth. Fear Him. Revere Him. These are themes from the beginning all the way to the end. Our whole purpose of life is to revere the Creator. To honor Him with everything you you have. Your mind, your soul, your strength. Everything that you have. See, we we have learned who Jesus is in this text this Christmas Eve. We have learned uh, what we are to do when in the flesh, to go to God as a refuge, to go to him, to, that, that obedience happens through suffering. You, you realize the, the, the depravity of your soul when you walk through cancer, don't you? When, you? when you lose a loved one, maybe a child, You understand your depravity. You understand your weakness. You understand that this life is so fleeting. So who else are you to go to? Obedience through suffering. And we also learned a deep reverence for the Father and now our call. What have we learned in the flesh? What have we learned? Well, I've mentioned this before, but in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says we are called to imitate the Father. We are called to imitate God. And like I challenged the kids that Jesus, when he was 12, went back with his family and submitted to them, we are called to do the same as children, to go back with our Father, maybe to come back to the Father and revere him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. See, then we were, in our text, we were called to do as Jesus has done. We, we then are to be children of God. We are to be learners. We are to be sufferers for Jesus' kingdom, not ours. We are to be made perfect in Jesus' likeness through the road of sanctification. We are to receive Jesus as the source of eternal salvation. We are to worship and follow Jesus as our great high priest. And we are, according to verse 9 of our text, and we'll end with this. We're according to verse 9 of our text. We are to obey. 
the one instruction for us, friends, that will save us eternally is to obey. Is to obey. Look at verse 9. It says, And being made perfect, He, Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Jesus didn't need saving. We do. That's exactly in John 3.16, which we read this morning, that we need Him. He has come to save the world. So when this Christmas season is reflect on the historical events, the historical events, not some mythical story, the historical events of Jesus Christ, my questions to you, friends, is what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the Word of God that has been put together by 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years, over three different continents that have hundreds of hundreds of prophecies all pointing to Jesus. How is that even possible? Unless God wrote it. What are you going to do with that this Christmas season? What are you going to do with verses like Hebrews 5, 9, obey Jesus, obey the Father, obey Him? What are you going to do with that verse? What are you going to do with all these fulfilled prophecies? See, this is the call of every Christmas past, every Christmas present, and any Christmas that is coming if Jesus delays in returning, which is also another promise that he will fulfill. He hasn't broken one covenant promise yet. And he says he's going to come back for his church. To all those who believe and trust in him, he's coming. He's coming. And we've got to surrender to that name. So may we, may you believe upon Jesus for salvation and would you obey him today? What name could contain such a glory? In the cool breezes of Eden, wrought from the infant earth, one arose the voice of his creator speaking his identity to life. Adam, man. And as heaven waited short with bread, the creator spoke yet another, Eve, mother of all the living. So it was with Abraham, named in the promise as the father of nations, Peter, the rock upon which the church would stand. The name called to life the destiny within. The name set the stage for all that was to come. And unto us a child was born. And what name could contain his glory? For he was mighty God, as the universe gasped into being, flinging rays of light from his presence to pierce the void, to shatter the shadows to a tapestry of color. And he is mighty God, shattering our darkness, revealing our light, our truth in him. He was everlasting father when orphaned Israel needed a father's touch. When we, with grief-stricken cheeks, need the embrace of one who never leaves. When we have lost our way to dark horizons, it is our everlasting father who lights the way home. He is Prince of Peace, 
When, like Elijah, we need the still small voice in the turmoil's midst. When, like David, we need the melodies of his presence to soothe our troubled minds. He is sanctuary within our trials, shepherd guiding us to still waters. And yes, he is wonderful counselor. God who gives counsel in the chaos, crafting disorder into calm and failure into beauty. He is a voice for the voiceless. He is dignity for the stateless soul. It is he who raised up a lowly shepherd to become a king. He who took the fishermen of Galilee and made them leaders of history. It is the counselor who redeems our lost years, breaking chains that have kept dreams imprisoned and joy confined. The name reaches across eternity, exclaimed by the splendors of galaxies, sung by the passions of angels, roared in heaven's fervor, exalted in creation's unfettered rejoicing. What name could contain him? What title? What soul renowned? For this is our wonderful counselor. This is our mighty God. This is our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. What name could contain Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the great I Am. What name could contain the Word of Life, the Light of the World, the King of Kings, the Lord of All. We bow to the name that holds every other in its matchless worth. What name could contain such a glory? What name but Jesus? We cry Jesus. We cry holy is Jesus.